0: will west chris carroll top 11 topics in the world of soccer every tuesday night 991 thesportsanimal.com chris we'll get right to it point number one do you have a problem with newcastle being sold to a saudi consortium
1: hey will good to be back with you again mate um international break but there's still plenty to talk about isn't there and uh yeah this big newcastle story man what a big political tangled web that is so do i have a problem with it well there's some issues here, isn't there? There's, there's, and there's conflicting issues. It's piracy issues uh, about the broadcasting rights, et cetera, and if they're going to be uh, abused. And then, of course, you've got the human rights, more, you know, the more serious human rights issues. So I guess when you, it's supposed to be all ironed out now, all the legal stuff, and it's all gone ahead, which is fantastic to Newcastle. And I think my feeling is, without belittling any of the possible human rights issues that have been argued about a lot of soccer deals quite frankly around the world such as the awarding of the world cup to qatar and then you've got the financial irregularities of major clubs i guess if if the powers that be um say everything's ironed out then you know i guess what's good for the goose is good for the gander and i and i think you know without knowing all the players and exactly what the facts are then it's difficult to sort of um argue against it you know so i guess my feeling is it, it, there's been lots of issues about lots of soccer deals, so I guess you know we just um, have to go with it.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll agree with you there, I, and I think the the operative phrase you used, "good for the goose, good for the gander." I look at Manchester City; it's the it's the the, the crown prince of Abu Dhabi, who's the one who is the the owner there, and he was accused of torturing people during the Yemen civil civil war. Uh, also, was part of poisoning more than four million people in a mining uh, operation in Colombia and uh also uh the largest financial uh thing financial conspiracy we've ever had to steal money uh happened in malaysia and it was the guy who was the chairman of city and the owner of city who were the two people who were the principals involved in that so it, it, I, i'm not saying look if they wanted to say we don't want people like the saudi crown prince involved i would understand that but once they're already involved just because Saudi Arabia has gets more headlines about it because they are the larger nation and the larger power inside of uh, the Middle East, it doesn't mean they don't already have problems. So once you've allowed Abu Dhabi in, you kind of got to let everybody in at that point. And yes, there are civil rights, human rights violations, civil rights violations that have happened in Abu Dhabi and Saudi Arabia and China that, that have happened as well. But I, I just don't know how you decide you're going to try to put the toothpaste back into the tube now when you've already allowed people who have done exactly the same things just with far less fanfare it makes me wonder if the hold up about this was more about the, the piracy rights that is issue than it was anything else because if if it was about human rights again you wouldn't let these chinese consortiums in you wouldn't have let abu dhabi in and own city and have them buy as many players as they want to the way that they are right now i can't help but think the hold up to this was about making sure that the piracy rights situation got taken care of and now that that's taken care of they have no problem letting in another person who's been involved in human rights violations.
1: Yeah, like you say, the door's already open, isn't it? On that one, and and you could you could look at lots. You mentioned the Chinese, you got the Russian oligarchs going on with Ch- the Chelsea, and I mean, you really could put an argument against many many of the owners now. And um, I like you say, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. And what it is is exciting for Newcastle and their fans. But uh, so yeah, I guess it's it's game on.
0: All right. Point number two, Chris. How good can Newcastle be given proper financing?
1: I think they, they can be very, very good. Newcastle. Newcastle's an area of the country, an area of England that it's it's a one club city. It's soccer crazy. I suppose it, it comparatively. I don't know if I got this quite right. But like like a Wisconsin situation. Um, you know, where everyone's just crazy about soccer, and uh, they it's traditionally or it's it's mentioned that it's not the ideal place for glamorous soccer players to want to go and live in the northeast much prefer london or manchester it's not not as glitzy and, and glamorous newcastle but you know i'd argue that there's some beautiful parts uh, parts of the country really close to newcastle newcastle's a thriving city so that aside i think with the money with the with the soccer reputation that newcastle have got and it's just the following they've got is absolutely fanatical um, they could go all the way. Now, it's not going to happen overnight, but they could go all the way. 1995 and 1996, 96, they say, came so close to winning the Premier League. And it was uh, Kevin Keegan, who used to play for Newcastle and, and England, an absolute Liverpool legend. And he took them close to winning that title. They were 12 points clear at one point. And then talk about um, a choke. And Man United came and, uh, and nicked it from them right at the end. So they've, they've got history. They've got the potential. And now they've got the money so i think they can go all the way but it's not gonna it, it'll it'll take a few years to get there probably uh, but they can they can it's really exciting for them and they can uh, that could be another big player in this sort of make it a top top seven now if you like the big seven
0: yeah and they're reportedly kind of going after some pretty big names steve gerrard to, to be a guy who could be their coach right to get him plug him out of scotland before liverpool can um the players that they're already talking about that you're seeing that they're targeting for the you know the mid-season transfer window in the next summer as well. It's incredible to see how quickly they're moving with this. That really brilliant financial people that are in charge there right now. And, and I agree with you. I think it can be a big seven. And I think that's frankly that they can probably be as as big at like Tottenham, Tottenham, Arsenal. And, and again, you're right. Newcastle's not uh as sexy of a place to live as London is. But I, I've got a couple of friends that have spent a lot of time. One he still lives in Germany. Um, but one thing that he always said was Newcastle was his favorite place to go watch games in England. And the reason why is this, the pubs atmosphere, the atmosphere around the entire city, that it's almost like a college. It's like a pro market, but it's like college football atmosphere where the world stops whenever that team is playing and everyone stops what they're doing. There's no commerce being done whatsoever outside of the serving of beer and maybe some some fish and chips. That's about it. There's like everything stops. So I think with that passionate fan base, it's a large fan base. I do think Newcastle can be a major player and you're right. I think it can be a big seven group of of clubs, not just a big six group of clubs. All right. That brings us to point number three right now, Chris, why, why are so many wealthy foreigners interested in owning EPL clubs?
1: It's funny, you know, because it it was often said that a surefire way of losing money was to, to own a, a soccer club, a professional soccer club. And traditionally, owners of the soccer club owners of well any, any club was generally a wealthy businessman of that town of that city you know it was the, it was the wealthy guy by the club he was passionate about it because he supported them from as a boy and his dad supported them and so that was the guy but he'd always lose money because the deals that the money wasn't in the game that, that back in the day from the television etc so he was a guy who had plenty of money to burn Now, the money that's in the game, uh, the sloshing about now from television, especially, I mean, it's it's uh, it's a way of making huge money, isn't it? And that's got to be the reason. I mean, they're coming in. It's a bit. It's still a bit of a plaything for them. They could drop it at any time. These wealthy businessmen, couldn't they? Um, And these wealthy groups are not relying on it for survival. So it's it's a toy. I guess if it makes money, that's a bonus, but it's going to make money for them now. And and that's why I think there's so many coming in. And it's uh, it's it's fashionable.
0: It's good business too. I would say that's, that's the biggest reason for me is it's free money. I mean, would you, do you want to make, would would you like to make, I mean, like with Newcastle, it's a 300 million pound investment that's going to be worth a billion pounds in a decade. I mean, where, where else can you invest your money and have a situation like that happen? I I don't know where else you could Bitcoin. Is that the only thing that you could look at that? I'm going to make three times my money in a decade. So it's, it's not just good business. It's great business. It's, you know, to some extent, passive income, cause they make enough money each year to be able to pay the bills there. So it's just, you know, whatever you make in profit is just what you're going to pocket by the time you get, you know, you get five, 10 years down the line. And the other side of it is, is that if you look at it around the world of sports, the only global sports league is the English premier league. There is no other league. The NFL's not major league Baseball's not uh, Euros, Euro basketball isn't, uh, La Liga isn't, Bundesliga isn't. There's one in the entire world of sports, and that's English Premier League Soccer, where in America, Singapore, Indonesia, China, every country in Europe, South America, they care about this. That's the, it's the only league there is. And so with the expectation being that when this next contract is up in just a couple of years, I think it's three years, um, that they quadruple the amount of money that they're making just on television deals and just on television deals no, alone, the expectation is that the English Premier League makes more money than the NFL does in everything with all of their revenues. So it's just free money right now, and you're buying early, so you're you're really you're buying a dollar for forty cents. That's what you're doing right now by buying an English Premier League soccer club. And it's fashionable, and it's fun, and it can kind of beat your fantasy football team the way that Jerry Jones treats the Dallas Cowboys a little bit if you'd so desire to be like that. But it's cool to do, and you're going to make a ton of money. What's not to like, right?
1: No, that's right. And it's strange how it's just flipped. It was a guaranteed way of losing money. Now it's a guaranteed way of of making money in a relatively short space of time as well. And uh, it has. It's just it's just all about timing. so if you've been if you're an owner of 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 Brentford or of Brighton, who've sort of made their way into it and all of a sudden they're now in the Premier League with all this money around, then it's uh, it's fantastic timing. And yeah, what a way to what what uh, good fortune, really, I guess, in a lot of cases. But. You, like you say, they're getting in early. It is relatively early, and uh, they are getting in early. And they're going to make fortunes.
0: That's Chris Carroll. I'm Will West. We'll come back on the other side. Why is the U.S. men's national team continuing to struggle? Starting eleven, ninety nine point one. 11, 99.1, the sports announcement.
2: Looking for children's soccer coaching outside of the club scene? Carol Sports Academies has been coaching soccer for over 18 years. Their professional coaches keep it fun and build confidence while providing structured classes. Years of experience has helped shape their fun soccer curriculum, which prepares players for competition. Never played before? No problem. Beginners and experienced players are welcome. They truly believe children of any age should receive quality soccer coaching. Check out their website, carrollsportsacademies.com.
0: Will West, Chris Carroll, top 11 topics in the world of soccer every Tuesday night, 991 dsportsanimalcom All right, we're at point number four right now, Chris. Why does the U.S. men's national team continue to struggle? Lost 1-0 to uh, Panama on Sunday.
1: This is so deep-rooted in the U.S. game, and it's the way that this, the game's structured here in the States compared to everywhere else in the world, quite frankly, and it's, it's because the roots of professional sport over here, including soccer, traditionally was – college once you get to, once you get out of college then you turn pro and around 21 22 soccer terms that's too late it's too late for probably 90 the, percent of the players who are playing and and so to compete on a world level you've got absolutely no chance for those 22 year old guys who haven't played men's soccer they've been playing college soccer which is completely different um you're not you're not battle-hardened in, in the street soccer sense of the uh, sense of the word um but it's been decades behind but it's starting to be changed and there's u.s guys as american guys going over to europe now at 16 at 17 which is when everybody else starts as pros uh, around the world you turn pro 16 17 you don't go to college and then start playing pro otherwise you miss the boat so you've got american players now going over to germany to to england just around the world playing in these tough leagues playing with the men learning the tricks of the trade if you like because it is completely different but there's not enough of them doing it just yet and so if you're relying on christian pulisic to stay fit and healthy and you're pinning your hopes on him not just winning the world cup but qualifying then you've got a problem so it's happening and you could say it's in the perhaps the 30s 40s 50s of these players that are around the going around the world now but it's not the thousands It needs, and it needs to be the thousands of players just churning out playing men's soccer from the age of 16 17 to then you've got a pool of players to to pick a, a, a pick a team that's going to compete at world cup level but it's it's going to be a long road and every now and then you get that 11 or that 16 who can you know um Lallis, back in the day of lalas they just had the, the lightning in a bottle they got the right group of guys and they could compete at that world level but to compete to 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 constantly do that there's nowhere the pool of players is nowhere near big enough
0: I'll copy and paste everything you just said at the macro level. And the pool of players, like you mentioned, what that leads to is you don't have depth, right? So, it, well, if you've got Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna, and there was one other guy who I name is escaping me right now that, that was injured for that match against Panama and couldn't play. Um, then you had another player who would have been in the starting 11 that did, didn't want to come over because he would have had to sit out uh, for quarantine for his club team. So that, that plays into it as well. So then you don't have the depth. You don't have, uh, and then you have a bunch of injury-plagued players. That's part of it, too. Since you don't have the depth, now you've got to have a Christian Pulisic out there. And frankly, a lot of the American players are just, I mean, Weston McKinney, Gio Reyna, um, and Pulisic. Those are guys that deal with a lot of injuries. They have. And so when you don't have depth, it really is a problem for you to not have those players. I'll say part of it, too, is they don't seem to care that much. Like With English players, it matters. And it's debated on the sports radio all day long on Talk Sport. It's, debate, it's debated on the radio all day who should be the keeper. Or should Jack Grealish come up? Things like that. Here, frankly, what you do on your club teams, what matters less because with the U.S. men's national team, there's one of those, I think that you they walk in a little bit thinking, well, we're better than these teams in South America, Central America, or Central America and in the Caribbean. And then so, so they have the big head because they do play in Germany or they do play in England, they do play in Spain. And they got a little bit of a big head because of that. And then, so they don't necessarily bring their all, but also there's not as much of a point of pride, I think as for playing for the U S men's national team. As there, I mean, you, how many times did did you see in Europe that there were guys that said, I mean, there were the, there was the issue with the Tottenham players that said, no, we're going to get Argentina and play. We're going to play for our country. We're going to represent our country. We don't care about this quarantine. Top American players are saying, no, thanks. We don't want to have to deal with the quarantine because our club team is what really matters here at the end of the day. So there's part of it is an inferiority complex to the teams in South America and Europe. Part of it is an uh, a superiority complex to the teams in Central America and the Caribbean. They still had enough talent to beat Panama and Panama. You know, the, the Mexican coaches praised Panama's team after their 1-1 draw a couple weeks ago. But at the same time, they, you could tell that the U.S. men's national team didn't care if they were there Sunday or not. It didn't seem like. And then finally, there was a late rush that happened. And the whole thing was chaos and nonsense with ball boys throwing extra balls onto the pitch, fans running onto the field, things like that. So there was chaos involved that probably broke their comp- their concentration i also question their heart a little bit and i question their desire towards winning for the us men's national team not so much when it comes to just them as a competitor with their club team but i do think in England, in, in america right now it's a bigger deal to play for those club teams than it is to play for the us men's national team so that probably plays in the micro just a little bit all right chris said. point number 5 with world cup qualifiers being played this weekend who is your favorite for the world cup in 2022
1: well, I think it's you, for me now. You've got the best, the top four in Europe, and I think you've got to be looking at Europe. There's maybe from South Africa with the with the talent that they've got. You look, you've got to look at Brazil, uh, but Brazil, they're only they're only a small distance away from a, a minor incident, just blowing up the whole thing and and causing chaos and disaster in the camp. So they're they're always just a hair's breadth away from from trouble, Brazil. But they've got the talent that they could they could push. For me. It's got to be Italy, France, or Belgium. Belgium have got a host of stars who haven't quite, well, they haven't won anything, they haven't quite clicked yet. And so you wonder if it's ever, it's their golden generation, you wonder if it's ever going to happen. Time's running out for them. Spain have just, they've been in a bit of a lull lately, but they just beat Italy. And Italy lost for the first time in 37 games to Spain the other day in the Nations League. Um, and then France beats Spain in the Nations League in the final. So France are firing on all cylinders as well. So we got Italy and France, France, the world champions, Italy, the European champions. It's got to be one of those two. And I think I'm going to hang my hat on France as the World Cup. Uh, I think they'll defend their title.
0: Yeah, I think it's France as well. They'll be the one that, look, at. they just won the Nations League. The one thing I wonder about is Lloris, right? Like at 35, and that's a lot of city miles on Lloris over the years. He's the one place that I question. But when I look at what they have, with Mbappe in the front, I mean, uh, Varan and those guys in the back, and then Pogba's playing midfield, you know what I mean, like center midfield right now for them, just because they have a wealth of talent on the outside there. It just seems like they have too much, much more than everyone else does. I, now, I do wonder about this, Chris. What about England? Because it's Harry Kane and a bunch of young guys, right? So as those young players start to get into their primes, and will, you know, the Grealishes of the world is start to hit that age group, age next year of being in their prime, I can't help but wonder. Could I mean look how close they were to winning the Euros, right? If you can win the Euros, you can win the. Frankly, if you if those guys were a couple years older and you didn't have, let's let's call what it was, Saka and those guys, they choked. um, And Rashford and I love both of those players, but they choked. They did. It was the spot was too big for them. But how can you ask nineteen and twenty one year olds to have to pull off something like that? A lot of guys are going to choke in that spot when it's so big, or or they do beat Italy. So now you are going to be another year older, and you've gotten your heart broken once, and you know what it's like to go through that i can't help but think that england can be a player in this as well um there's part of it looks at germany and just says too old part of it looks at spain and just says spain and brazil the interesting thing with them is their time was top players in the world were spanish players the top players in the world were, were brazilian players there aren't that many incredible brazilians or spanish players right now if we're just being completely honest about it so they're always going to have competitive teams and so it's always going to be a, a melt you know it, it a boiler with the way that the the pressure is going to be on the coaches of those two teams but I just don't know that it's, Ronaldo, Ronaldo's not walking through that door anymore, right? So for Brazil, I do wonder about, could Argentina do something that they never really have? But they have a lot of players in the Premier League right now from Argentina and in European soccer from Argentina. So I, I think that France is my number one. Belgium should be in that conversation. But for whatever reason, it just seems like Belgium can't seem to get it together. And I wonder about putting another half season to a season of Premier League miles on some of those guys' legs for Belgium. And then I get to England and I just think, okay, I have questions about whether Pickford can be the guy for the World Cup next year for England. But everywhere else, there's a lot of really, really, really good young players. And then Harry Kane being the one grizzled veteran that's there.
1: Well, you're right to mention England. And I, I, didn't, I didn't want to look like I was favoring them by mentioning them. But mentioning them. But there is a problem. And I think psychology does come to this. If you line up the English squad, man for man, with Italy, France, Spain, they're probably as good as, as any of them. England haven't won anything since 1966. Not one thing. They haven't won a, they haven't won a tournament. They, you look at Italy and France and Spain and anyone anyone else you care to mention, and they know how to win. They, they, Italy have won the World Cup the last uh, they've won the. They're European champions now. They won the World Cup the, the year that Zidane got sent off a headbutt in the uh, Italian defender. I yeah, was, was in the final, wasn't it? So Italy won it. France, world champions now, uh, Nation League champions. They win. They know how to win. The coach, the head coach of France, Didier Deschamps, he's won, he's won the World Cup as a, a as a coach and a player. England's head coach, Gareth Southgate, he was involved in the penalty mission back in the nineties. You know, his 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 psychology is one of failure and disaster of these of this penalty situation. So, I th- I really think there's an issue there, and and England can't seem to get past that. They're, it's like they're not, they don't expect to win. And I think some of these other other countries, they expect to win. They know they can win. And they're just coming and come and do it,
0: and England choke at the at the last, and for whatever reason.
1: And I think it's I think it's psychology. They've got a big thing to get over.
0: Point number six, Chris. I saw an interview with uh, Pep Guardiola where he said he was asked Is Ronaldo still the toughest player to mark in the Premier League, and he said he is. Who do you think is right now the toughest player to mark in the Premier League?
1: Well, I couldn't argue with Pep, could I? Uh, <laughs> You know, you can look at run, anyone who scores goals. You look at, on a regular basis, you look at Ronaldo, you look at Salah. Let's take Salah, for example. I mean, his trademark move is, is cutting in from the right, curling one in with his left foot on the, to the far post. He does it time and again. And we know that, we don't play. You bet your bottom dollar that, that the, those defenders who are playing against Salah that day know what he's going to do. And any forward it just shows how good these forwards are you know because if you're a defender your remit is to make sure ronaldo and or salah whoever you're playing against does not score that's all you're going to do <laughs> that's your job make sure do, and they score time after time after time and it, so it just shows how how one how good they are two how tough they are because defenders aren't going to be nice about it i mean you've got it's it's a tough game it's not a game for shrinking violence at that top level if you're a forward these, aren't, these are these are these are guys They might not come across as that way, but they're taking the they're taking the the, the the cleats down the back of the heel while we walk while they're walking around. I mean, grab the shirt and or pinched or elbowed or whatever. Um, less so now off the ball. Well, there's more cameras around than, than there are players at the minute. So they could get away with less defenders. But still it's it, it's going on and, and defenders are tough about stopping the forwards. So they're all difficult to 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 mark. To, Ronaldo, I mean, it's got to be. I mean, he keeps doing it time and again, and he stands out like a saw them on the. You know, if you're a defender, you can see Ronaldo, but he just can't stop him. I mean, it, it's amazing. So it just shows how how good these forwards are. But I think for as long as he's been doing it, Salah's a close. He's right up there. He's a close second. And uh, but yeah, I'd have to say Ronaldo's the toughest toughest player to mark.
0: At this point in their career, I'm, I'm going to say that it's it is Salah, and and a lot of the reason why is look Ronaldo in the past where he could just run by everybody. That was impossible because he would do what he was doing what he's doing now plus he was just faster than everyone else right so that was just impossible and, and, and we there's a reason why he's considered like he and Messi are the other ghosts right Messi with the ball put the ball at his feet he's gonna do something incredible ronaldo doesn't necessarily have to have the ball at his feet but oh my gosh he did he just go but past me again now it almost seems like he just glides in front of net a little bit and so it's almost sneaky a little bit the way ronaldo does it he just somehow finds himself around where the ball's going to be. I don't care how many deflections it comes off of. it end, The ball's going to end up at Ronaldo's feet like a magnet. Um, with Salah, you know what's coming. You're right. I know what's coming. You know what's coming. And he's going to do it, and there's nothing you can do about it. Right? They're going to start moving the ball up the pitch. They're going to reverse the field, reverse play, and he's going to just come swooping in and somehow, some way, end up catching it in a position to be able to score. And he can score from all over as well. Long ball in front of net, uh, counterattack, whatever you need. Salah can do that. Two guys that I wanted to bring up to you because we don't we wouldn't mention them, but they score a lot of goals for them not to be tough guys to mark, and that's Harry Kane and Jamie Vardy, because those guys are twenty goals if they're healthy, they're twenty goals every year, no matter what. Period. End of discussion. That's what they're going to do. And when when I saw you know Timo Werner with all the talks he's had about how much tougher it is to play against back force in the English Premier League versus Germany, right, and just how much more physical it is. Those guys for so many years just continue to score, and they do it, you know, Kane's done it at the international level. So he's done it against every, any and everybody, but it just doesn't look like it, like Ronaldo, and it doesn't look like Mo Salah, where I can pinpoint what's going on, but somehow, some way, they score a ton of goals.
1: Yeah, and that's down to timing and knowing the game. Um, it's not that you mentioned about running past defenders. You could say that a really difficult player to mark is uh adama traore of Wolves because uh, i mean you no one's as fast as him so he's really difficult to mark because you know he's gonna he's he's gonna well you can mark him but you can't keep up with him uh but the other guys now ronaldo he's i think stealth is the word that they use stealth and 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 kane they know when to back away from the ball drop off it looks like they're hanging around the back post and then they'll just make that for that that forward movement and they'll beat the defender to the the ball coming in at the near post and it's smarts, it's it's guile, it's it's knowledge that's been developed, and it's a that's been developed over the years playing at that level. And and whether it's catching the, you could say you catch the defender asleep, or you you're tricking him by taking a couple of steps back, then going forward, uh, shooting for the ball that way. I think it's it's experience. And Vardy, he's he's relying more less on his pace now, and more on that. Um, that's why you see younger players; they're more pacey. They've got less of that that. That guile, if you like, that fox in the box, as they call it, and and I think Ronaldo, Kane, yeah, Kane's goals are so varied, aren't they? You don't picture him like you, you pictured Vardy. If you pick, picture Vardy when they won the the Premier League, you picture Vardy scoring goals. He was bursting past the last defender and, and hitting it from the edge of the box past the keeper. You don't you don't picture Kane doing that now or Ronaldo doing that. It's more guile and stealth in the box and just uh, just getting that that yard in front of the defender so it, it, it is something that that strikers learn and and it's you think it would be easy just to go man for man with one of the defenders with one of the attackers like that but it's so difficult
0: and for those we I know we have a lot of new soccer fans right now in east tennessee um the marking is kind of like in basketball that's your man off the ball and football would be like the corner covering the wide receiver and you might be in zone you might be in a man every now and again but that's am i am i, am I under oversimplifying that a little bit
1: no it is like that at times sometimes you'll go man for man and other times you'll go you'll you'll be marking that guy because he's in your zone if you like on the field and then and then acute forward he'll run across so he'll go from the the right fullback to the center back and then it's up to those defenders to pass him on and they've got to have that communication correctly that now i haven't got him now you've got him because he's come over towards you and he's coming over towards the ball now if now what smart Forwards do they'll hover around between in that area between the full the, the wide fullback and the centre back or they'll they'll hover around between the two centre backs. So and then they'll make the move. And then the two centre backs don't know which one's going to go, which one's going to drop, which one's gonna go with him, which one's not, you know, so that's the that's that that's the cutes that's the skill. So it's not just man for man. You've got him. You've got him. You've got him. Stay with him. You've got a path pass attackers on sometimes to to your other defender and that's that when they're being passed on that's that's the split second that the damage can be done and that's when that's what forwards know so uh yeah it's it's not quite as easy as you've got him you've got him it is like that at certain times in the game and for corners for example or free kicks you stick with your man well even then they go zone sometimes so it depends on what the coach wants you to do but it can change but yeah when you're passing a forward on between the two defenders that's when the, that's when the attacker will strike and, and get between the two
0: that's chris carroll i'm will west we'll come back on the starting eleven on the other side okay coming out of the international break who wins the premier league who finishes top four which teams will be relegated we break it down next starting 11 99.1 the sports animal the sports animal will west chris carroll top 11 topics in the world of soccer every tuesday night 991bsportsanimal.com all right chris we're at point number seven right now out of the international break who wins the premier league who finishes in the top four?
1: Yeah, getting back to the good stuff uh, after the inter- international break. They're a bit boring, the international breaks, aren't they? At this, this point, the World Cup qualifying, God, there's some, there's some dead, dead rules, isn't there? But back to the Premier League. I've got to go with Man City. I'm, st- I'm sticking with Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United in that order. Um, it's funny that Chelsea have had a one dodgy game perhaps and people are going oh is, is that it now for Chelsea they're still top of the league <laughs> they're only a point clear and there's only two points separating the top I think seven uh one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. yeah so they're not exactly doing badly Chelsea they haven't exactly blown up have they after a after a rocket start they're still top of the league Liverpool have had a, have had a great game Man City are going well Man, you—if anyone—if if anyone could be accused of perhaps blowing up hardly or trying to gel these superstars, it's Man United. You could see, perhaps, if it goes wrong for one of those teams, it might be them. But I—I I, I still think Man City has got enough. I think they're so the players are so interchangeable that they don't rely on one play. If one of their players gets injured, they've got someone else to come in for them, and they've got three other guys to take up the slack. And they can all pretty much play anywhere, so that's why that's why I'm going. Because long term, whatever the season throws at them, I think Man City will just be durable and keep going like they were last year. So I've got City first, Chelsea second, Liverpool third, Man United fourth.
0: Yeah, I'm actually going to go with I. I have the same four. I have them in a different order. So I've got Chelsea one. I still have Chelsea winning, winning it all. At some point in time, the light switch is going to come on for Timo Werner, right? And when that does, that gives them an extra goal scoring option. uh But at some point in time, the light switch is going to come on for him. Pulisic's going to come back and and give them something right unless they sell him at the at the at the midseason window and maybe they do but then that probably gives them money to bring somebody else on so uh, and Kai Havertz looks like he's so close so often to just becoming a breakout superstar in in the Premier League so he's still a youngish guy Havertz is so there's there's time for him to do that but it just seems like over and over again. He makes almost he makes more close plays that don't actually end up at goals than anybody else in the Premier League. It seems like so at some point in time he's going to start those are going to start going into the net. I have to think with, with the, as well as he's playing off the ball. So uh, give me Chelsea to start. I will go with City next and I feel like an idiot picking against Pep Guardiola. But what do you do? Uh, I've actually I actually have United third. I think they're going to figure this out. I think it's come down to uh, Solskjaer trying to be cute. Uh, their their manager over and over and over again, just trying to mess with the lineup or trying to make sure he gives people what we call in the NBA load management, things like that. He's trying to make sure he manages the minutes for Ronaldo. Go put your best 11 out there and win, right? And, and if you need to sub somebody or rest somebody, that's fine. But don't wait and secure a victory or bring a guy in at the 60th minute. Don't just say, I'm just going to sit you for this whole game. I understand that worked well for City doing it last year, but Solskjaer is not, he, he is not by any stretch of the imagination. Pep Guardiola, so him trying to get cute is a little problematic for me, but I think they have so much talent that they will figure it out. And then I have Liverpool fourth. Um, that I, I wonder about the scoring options they have. I mean, Salah's not gonna score 45 goals this year, right? So the other scoring options are really gonna have Jada, those guys are really gonna have to step up a little bit for Liverpool. And I just wonder if they deal with any type of injury issues whatsoever, overuse issues because of all of this international play, do they have the depth that these other teams do? And I don't know that they necessarily do. Point number six, Chris, or seven, excuse me, point number eight, Chris, which teams will be relegated?
1: It's funny. We mentioned this right at the beginning of the season. We had to pick uh, pick, pick our relegation. I mean, it's going to be difficult picking this for the next few months, probably. But I'm going, I'm going to stick with my three that I had way back when. Uh, Norwich was one of them, and they looked dead and buried already. They've only got a point. Burnley. They're really struggling. They, they uh, Sean Dyche, he just keeps working his magic year after year, and I think there's going he's going to run out of time, and it's not looking good at the moment. And there's it's hard to argue against them when you look around. Um, below Burnley at the moment, and Newcastle, they're what they're 19th. You got Norwich 20th, Newcastle 19th, Burnley 18th. Well, Newcastle, you would think are going to have a <laughs> have a bit of a boost with what's just happened to them. Burnley, I don't see any boost at all. They had new owners, uh, what, last year and nothing's nothing's happened. I think, and they've admitted that they can survive if they're in the championship uh, if they go down. So they're not exactly aiming for the stars at Burnley. So I think Sean Dyson could could well run out of uh, not run out of time for him but I think Burnley just haven't got enough to stay up. So I'm going with them. And then the rest, Southampton, Leeds, what for I went for Palace, you know, and it looks like they're safe enough. I think they're about seventh from bottom, something like that. But they're not. They've, they've beat Spurs they've beat, when Spurs were in turmoil. They've only won one game. And that was the one game. They've, and they haven't drawn with it. They've drawn with, drew with Brighton, Brentford, Leicester. So they, they've not had fantastic results. Uh, Palace, is, I, I don't think they're comfortable. Whereas Watford are going to get a bit of a bounce. They've got a new manager. Leeds have got too much energy. Southampton, that's my other one. I'm a bit worried about Southampton, but I'm going to keep, I'm going to stick my neck out on Palace. So I've got Palace, Burnley, Norwich going down.
0: Yeah, I I went Norwich, Watford, and Burnley at the beginning of the year just because they gave Sean Dyche nothing at at Burnley. I'm... Watford looks like they're going to stay up right now, and I, I I kind of hate that a little bit considering what they did with the manager. Watford's kind of like that second team that I'll watch when they're in the championship. I'll throw on the ESPN app and watch Watford play. I'll always play with them on FIFA and things like that, and you know do the do the franchises with them. I I I think Norwich is dead and buried. I agree with you. That's already finished. Um, I think that Burnley is still going to go down. I'll agree with you on that because they just haven't given Sean Dyche enough. And you can't just count on Nick Pope, you know, being Patrick Waugh of, of the soccer world uh, every every single match, and he's also dealt with some injury issues. So they, maybe they sell him, eh, frankly, at this next window as well as a possibility. And then the other team I go with right now, it seems like Watford's done enough to stay up. It really does. So I, I'll say Southampton. They did not replace Danny Ings, and he was so much of what they like. Danny Ings scoring was so much of what kept them up. And even when he wasn't scoring, he was such a problem for opposing defenses and they had to change their tactics based on what Danny Ings was going to bring to the table. Now that doesn't exist for Southampton. And so I I like Southampton. I I just don't think they're going to be able to stay up this year. And it looks like Brentford is going to be able to stay up. That's a team that I worry about because when you look at the advanced stats, Brentford has the fewest possessions of any team in soccer by a long shot. And they're not scoring a ton of goals either. So, I mean, like, City's next and City, but City's going to score a ton of goals whenever they feel like scoring goals. Brentford's not. It's just a matter of they never let you get a good shot. At some point in time, teams are going to figure out that back end, but at this point, Brentford has so many points, I don't know that they can be caught by these other teams even if the bottom does fall out because they're, you know, the advanced stats aren't necessarily working for them. So... Give me Norwich. I think they go down. Give me uh, Burnley. I think they go down, and I'll add Southampton with it looking like Watford's going to be able to figure it out. Point number nine, Chris, our target, man. One player you're targeting to have a big match week this weekend.
1: Well, look at the fixtures. Uh, man City are playing Burnley, and we're just talking. Burnley are struggling. I'll go and Jack Grealish. He's on fire. He scored for England uh, last weekend. They played him as number nine at Man City the, the week before that. didn't quite work out for him, but he's – is there, I mean, is it such a. it doesn't matter what's going on with Jack Grealish. He just, his, his confidence doesn't get not. or it doesn't look like it. He never hides in the game. He's always going for it. It never seems to bother him where he's playing, what the score is. You know, he just gets on with it. So I think the chance. Man City are going to create a bundle of chances against Burnley. And I think Jack Grealish is going to be, uh, he's going to be, he's going to have a good weekend. So he's my target man.
0: I, I actually go Nil Mape and I and usually I don't like to go with whoever's playing Norwich because you can just say whoever's playing Norwich is going to do it. Mape quietly has four goals through seven games so far this year. Like he's he's played really well. He's he has not tried to fight his own manager on the sideline this year, which is a good sign <laughs> for him because he's a fantastic player. But he's almost like a like a character in a novel or a character on a on a movie or television show, just the the hothead soccer player that wants to fight everybody. Uh, That is who Mape actually is. He really is that guy. Uh, But he he seems to be playing with it himself a little bit. Brighton's overachieved, and I think part of that is that Neil Mape's been consistent. And I think that Mape this weekend against Norwich is an unbelievable mismatch. Again, we know somebody's going to score multiple times against Norwich this weekend. Uh, So I will take my bet that it's Neil Mape, and that Brighton gets the win against Norwich, something like 3-1, something like that. That's Chris Carroll. I'm Will West. Final segment of the Starting 11 coming up next. 99.1 the sports animal
2: looking for children's soccer coaching outside of the club scene carroll sports academies has been coaching soccer for over 18 years their professional coaches keep it fun and build confidence while providing structured classes years of experience has helped shape their fun soccer curriculum which prepares players for competition never played before no problem beginners and experienced players are welcome they truly believe children of any age should receive quality soccer coaching Check out their website, carolsportsacademies.com. All
0: right, Chris, we're at point number 10 right now. With Newcastle now under new ownership, which Premier League team would you now call a sleeping giant, a team with the most potential if given the right ownership?
1: Well, I I don't think there's too much wrong with the ownership, but I think Everton are a sleeping giant. And it's just things appear to be just going right for Everton at that moment. They're building a great, strong team. Rafa Benitez has come in much to the annoyance of the Liverpool fans. For those who don't know Everton, the name doesn't suggest Liverpool, but Liverpool is a two team city, one being Liverpool, of course, and the other one being Everton It's right in the heart of Liverpool and and families and generations are split. Sometimes, you know, you're either a red or a blue, a red of Liverpool or a blue of blue of Everton. So back in the eighties, Everton was huge winning Premier Leagues and FA Cups and and, yeah, they, were, they had a fantastic time through the 80s. And, and then be, be, before that, back in the 60s, huge team. So, you know, they're not just, they haven't just become, a, they haven't just sort of started up and Liverpool have always been around, you know, but they've, they've been there from the beginning, Everton have. So, but they've never gained that momentum and the money and the good management, etc. To, to, to develop and build something that was massive. Uh, but now they've they've had a steady owner for years, and I think he's a local guy. He's, a, he's 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 the what we were talking about before the local businessman who come good. Um, they've got their coach now. They've got a strong team. They're building a new stadium that's going to be ready in 2024, I think. And that's going to hold 52,000. So it's just and and you can see investment coming in there. You know, like we were saying before, more investors, and it just—it just needs that one, the one big one, doesn't it? Just for everything to blow up, and I think Everton's just on the verge of, of doing something. I mean, they're—they're they're, going to be challenging this year, in my opinion, for that top six. Um, yeah, sleeping giant,
0: definitely Everton. What about Leeds? Because that is a big old club, and when we look at it right now, I think that there's the perception that it's on the right track. Yeah. Leeds is actually spending about the same amount of money that Sheffield United was last year when they got relegated. And I can't help but think, I mean, there's seven, 17 million pounds is what they're, they're, Leeds is making almost half of what Kevin De Bruyne is this year. The entire lineup for Leeds, everything they paid to every player that is on that roster, put them together, double their salary, you'd get Kevin De Bruyne and then one other bad player with that salary on Manchester City's lineup, right? Um, that's incredible when you see that absolutely incredible they're making less than Ronaldo is that's what or less than half of what Ronaldo is that's what Leeds is making right now if you multiplied Leeds entire salary by 10 they would be between Arsenal and Tottenham as far as what their current spending is for the season on their entire roster and I can't help but wonder with Leeds being kind of an old firm like that could that be a team that if they ever got legitimate financial backing that Leeds is a sleeping giant waking to happen because I, I look at the way everyone's so excited to have Leeds back in the Premier League. I think there's this perception like they're given monetary like the, the type of money that they need to to be successful. I mean, you could quadruple their amount of money and they would barely be spending more than Newcastle is right now. Point number eleven. Give us your match of the week. Give us your upset pick of the week.
1: Match of the week. I like the look of Brentford against Chelsea. Are Brentford going to continue to surprise everybody? Can they keep going? Are they going to be the team that everybody says? Oh well, they can. When are they going to blow up and they just keep going, keep going? They got that. They've got. They've got that attacking threat. They look pretty solid all the way around. Like you said earlier on in the show, there's not many people scoring lots of goals against them. Uh, and then Chelsea, are they going to dominate them? Are they going to continue to dominate? Will Chelsea stay at the top of the league after this weekend? Or will Will Brentford cause a surprise? So, so that's my match of the week. Um, my upset of the week I'm looking at Leicester against Man United and I always look at the uh, it might not be a massive with the bookies upset I'm not sure I just look at the table and see who's below who if the the team below wins that's your upset so I'm looking at Leicester who've struggled and they've struggled defensively and you might think well I'm crazy to go against the Manchester United attack with Leicester but Leicester, Brendan Rodgers said they're going to be working on the defence over the international break, they've got Johnny Evans back for this game uh, from an injury uh, so he'll be playing against his his old club and um, and I think I think Leicester could surprise Manu so that yeah that's my upset of the week
0: all right I, I'll go actually go with Leicester against United as my match of the week and the, the biggest reason why is someone's going to panic and it, it, a loss there is going to send one of these fan bases into absolute turmoil and there'll be calls for Solskjaer's head there'll be even bigger larger questions about what's wrong with Leicester uh Lester is the underdog there and a a pretty sizable underdog there I think it's plus 275 on the money line right now whereas United's plus 106 so uh that's that's a pretty sizable underdog um I I just want to see almost the reaction after to what happens there I also want to see Brendan Rodgers, who I have a lot of respect for for the way he lines the team up versus Solskjaer who I have literally no respect for as far as the way I have a lot of respect for him as a person he seems like a really good dude But as far as the way he lines his team up, I just presume he's going to get it wrong. And then somehow his players are good enough to luck into a victory. So I I am really excited to see Leicester against Manchester United. And Chris, I'm going to apologize. I hope this isn't the kiss of death. Oh, I did want to say a quick shout out to Everton against West Ham. Because I think that's going to be a fantastic match coming up on Sunday at 9 a.m. as well. Um, I, I think Wolves beat Villa this week. (laughs) <laughs> and i i know that's in a way i know that they're a sizable underdog i just there's some gut feeling i have that wolves meet villa this weekend so that's why i will take that as my upset pick of the week chris tell them a little bit if you will about uh carol sports Academies and about fc national
1: yeah carol sports academies is a, a company it's a recreational soccer company that myself and my wife susan um wrote. it's for children ages three to ten and it's a fantastic way for them to be either be introduced to the game of soccer it's pressure free um it or if they've been playing a little while it's a great place for them to learn from coaches all our coaches are qualified they're all paid coaches qualified coaches background check coaches um so yeah it's a, it's a really nice atmosphere we've got a program a, a little fall program starting um next week actually so if you're interested in kicking things off as a three-year-old four-year-old any three to ten like i say please give us, uh, get in touch with us, and that's carrollsportsacademies.com. Uh, our competitive club that you can graduate from Carroll Sports Academy is going to our competitive club called FC National, and I'm partners in that with a friend of mine called Laurie Dudfield, who's a former pro, played for Leicester City in the Premier League and Hull City. Uh, we run that. That's for players ages 8 to 18. Uh, it's FC National. Uh, more competitive, play uh, competitive games, tournaments out of town, lots of play in a local league so it doesn't mean to say you've got to go off to out of state every every weekend you know so and um we'd love to talk to you if you're interested and uh, want to learn more about competitive soccer you can find us at fcnational.org that's f for football
0: c national.org that's Chris Caroline Will West starting 1199.1 the sports